All right. Welcome to episode 10 of Unknown Christian Soldiers. Uh, we're going to get through this. I'm incredibly tired tonight. I've been trying to put this together, but uh, I was going to put it off another day, but I just feel like God's really impressing on me to get this done and get this out there for y'all. Um, so, again, welcome to episode 10. On this podcast, we're going to finish up our brief discussion on fasting and prayer, continue our study in Ephesians. Uh, we're going to try to get through verse 14. I believe we should be able to do that today. And we're going to do a quick book review and some more. Uh, let's go ahead and go to prayer. Father God, I come before you right now and ask you to strengthen me for this podcast. Ask you to allow the words that need to be said to come out. I ask you, Father, for your blessing on this, blessing on those that are listening. Allow them to get out of it what you want. Allow me to put into it what you want me to put into it and nothing else. Father, in your name we pray, amen. All right, let's go into our next segment here. Our first segment is this podcast, Unknown Christian Soldiers, okay? Uh, now, this Unknown Christian Soldiers, Unknown Christian Soldiers story, uh, I actually saw this as an article on opendoorsusa.org, and it was written by Christopher Summers. It was put out, I believe, on August 28th. Real recent. But uh, it involves two sisters named Mina and Sunita. I believe that's how they pronounce their names. Um, they're located in Odisha in eastern India. Uh, basically, that's like a state in eastern India from what I can gather. Uh, now, kind of the events and circumstances they came to know Christ. They became Christians. And of course, in India, that can be a huge issue in certain parts of India, perhaps even all of it. Uh, you know, but they had a lot of bad things happen to them. I really, really want to encourage you to go read this article. Uh, but they were thrown out of their village. They lost their home, their rice harvest, all their goats. They lost their clothes. Extremists tried to burn them to death. And it gets a lot worse. I mean, um, they were told Christians cannot pick berries, draw water from the well, make use of the roads of the village. Uh, and again, it just it got worse from there. Uh, the article really opens up about some of the hardships that Christians can face over there in those parts of India, and specifically the story of these two girls, Mina and Sunita. Um, but the article does show some ways that God has revealed his love. You know, they met up with some other Christians and they're now partnered with Open Doors USA, but they need our prayers and they are in a very dangerous situation over there as are the other Christians in those areas. So again, this week's or this podcast, Unknown Christian Soldiers are gonna be those two sisters, Mina and Sunita. They need our prayers out there. I encourage you to read that article by Christopher Summers uh, titled, Before Persecution, I Didn't Know How Close God Was. And it's on opendoorsusa.org. Go read that. They are out there and they are they are facing persecution. And I know most of us that hear this are in an area where we don't get persecution. You know, we think we do, but we really don't. Not to the degree that these people do. And I think I say that every time I do an unknown Christian soldier story, but it's true. I, I can't reiterate enough that we don't experience, most of us that will be hearing this don't experience what these individuals do. And so they really need our prayers. They really need our support, okay? Just Open Doors USA, if you can donate to them, they do a lot of help with these individuals over there. So let's go ahead and say a prayer for these two right now. Father God, come before you right now, and I ask a prayer of blessing on Mina and Sunita. And I pray that you'll be with them, help strengthen them, 
help keep them safe and help them accomplish the mission and the task at hand that you have for them. Father, in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's do our Bible verses for this week. We're going to have a lot of, or this podcast, we have a lot of Bible verses uh, as we continue our study in Ephesians, but I always like to have one specifically uh, for that podcast. Uh, this podcast, we're going to have Romans 10, 9 through 13. That is, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and you are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Important verse. You know, my my Bible has a great sidebar on these verses. Um, you know, I always have some additional information here that kind of relates to the verses, talks about it. And you're going to be able to see how this relates to Ephesians study later. We're going to do later on this podcast. So here's what it says. Uh, Our salvation comes by trusting Jesus Christ. There is nothing we can do to earn it. God accepts us because of what Christ has done on our behalf. No matter how great our success or failure, we have no reason to hide our mistakes from God. He wants us to relieve us. He wants to relieve us of the burdens we carry. He invites us to surrender our lives to him and receive his forgiveness. That's going to tie in great uh, with our Ephesians study we're going to do on this podcast, but uh, this is to say that God doesn't care about what our status in life or what our mistakes we have made are. Okay, He only cares that we claim the promise of His Son's sacrifice for our sins and that we claim Him as our Lord and Savior. That's it. That's the biggest thing. That is what it boils down to. All of the things will come as you walk with Christ and as you mature as a Christian. Okay, The Bible talks about new Christians needing spiritual milk. As they are not ready for solid food yet, uh, they must learn and grow and mature in their spiritual walk. A new Christian will take time to develop, learn, and grow, and be patient and mentor them. Okay. Understand this, and uh, I was actually on the, the Unknown Christian Soldiers unofficial Facebook page today. I got official and unofficial. I can't seem to figure out how to work the official very well yet, but I'm unofficial growing. Um, but they asked, you know, they were on another site, and I responded with the, the unofficial page. But they asked, "Well, I've accepted Christ. What do I do now?" You know, and that's that's a situation that we see. Okay, uh, they hear the gospel, and then they accept Christ, and then there's there's nothing there. So again, it's it's all about starting small, starting your walk. Now, there's some people that have an amazing revolution when they come to know Christ. You have the Pauls of the world. But most of us don't experience that. Most of us start needing spiritual milk because we're not ready for spiritual solid food yet. Okay? Uh, so get into a church. Get fed. Okay? Get in with the pastor. You know, get in with a, a group, etc. Okay? Because um, you got to remember, we are all called and all have the ability to be saved. Um we all have to start somewhere 
you know, there's those individuals that are, are using drugs or they're, they're whatever point they are in their life, you know, and a lot of times they want to place judgments on those people. We want to talk down to them. But ultimately, God's gift of salvation is offered to all. And when they accept it, they are adopted into the family of God. And at that point, they are our brother or sister. And it is up to us, as a part of the church, to mentor them, to work with them. And that's one thing you're going to hear about in uh, the book review we're going to do today as well, is what it really means to be a church member. It's, it's not about being served, it's about serving, serving others. And as this new Christian comes into your church, part of your job as someone who has known Christ and has studied the Bible and has studied His Word for a while, part of your job is to mentor them. Part of your job is to take these people under your wing with the help of the pastor, the church elders, or whoever else it is, and help feed them spiritual milk, help get them in the Word, help get them understanding. You can't expect someone who walks in the door off the street to behave the same way as someone who has been a, a church elder, you know, has been a church member their whole life. You can't expect that. And that's why a lot of times these people that come in, they get a little bit turned off to going to church because the people in the church aren't understanding that the individuals coming in don't know yet. They don't know that we don't do certain things. You know, they may not know that coming to the church and saying curse words is a bad is a bad idea. You know, they, they, don't, they don't understand those things yet because again, they're a new Christian. They've they just accepted this gift of salvation. They just accepted Christ as their Savior. And that's all they know. They don't know anything else yet. So they, they need to be taught. They need to learn. Okay? And this, this gift of salvation is available to all. And those who accept it, who want to be a part of that, um, they're going to need some help coming along. And I, I feel like I'm beating a dead horse here, but I just, I just want to kind of reiterate that. So anyway, uh, again, back to the verse. Romans 10, 9 through 13. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Verse 10, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Verse 11, as scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. Verse 12, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. Verse 13, for everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. All right, so we're going to finish up fasting and prayer. This is fasting and prayer part two. Uh, now, again, this is a quick down and dirty study. You know, we did part one uh, last podcast. We're going to do part two and conclude with this podcast again. It's a quick down and dirty on it. Um, let's kind of review a little bit about what we talked about fasting before. You know, fasting is uh, abstaining from food or sometimes other things if you can't abstain from food, such as the Daniel fast, etc. Uh, abstaining from food for a period of time in order to draw yourself closer to God. Um, and some good verses on that, you know, are found in Matthew, where Christ talks about some specific things. Uh, there's some other good verses there, such as Psalms, Esther, Jonah, etc. Um, but fasting, when done correctly, is a way to draw closer to God, to understand His will, uh, to have Him, um, not for Him to bend to your will. Uh, that's, that's something that can be misunderstood sometimes. Um, 
Listen, that's one of those things where God wants to see you be humbled before he really gets into your prayer life and really starts to work with you in your prayer, etc. Um, but let's talk about what fasting isn't. That, that kinda, that's kind of a good segue into what fasting is not. Fasting is not a way to manipulate or change God. Uh, God may be waiting on you to humble yourself and seek him, and fasting is a good way to do this, but you're never going to push God to do something that was not already a part of his plan or is not part of his character. Uh, remember, God answers prayers in three ways. Yes, no, or not now. Okay? If God's answer is no, you're not going to suddenly make God do something out of his character or change his mind. Okay? Um, that's why oftentimes fasting is used to get close to God to understand his will for your life or his will or his plan for something in your life. Now, I do see fasting in other ways, such as when uh, David was fasting for his son when he was on his deathbed, etc. Um, but fasting is not a way to prove your righteousness, and it's not a way to get attention. In fact, Jesus warned about the Pharisees doing that, you know, putting ash in their hair and then looking, looking like they hadn't ate, looking like they were upset or upset, etc. I forget the exact verbiage he used. Again, I apologize. I'm pretty tired this evening. Um, it's not for that. We talked to, I believe I mentioned this in the last podcast. The only people you really want to tell when you're on a fast is those who need to know, such as the person who prepares your meals and possibly your, your pastor, or maybe a prayer partner or something like that. But only those who absolutely need to know that you're fasting should know that you're fasting. That's it. No one else should know. Um, that's between you and God. And only those who have an absolute need to, again, we talked about people who prepare your meals because uh, they're going to wonder why you're not eating or they don't want, you don't want them to make food for you and you're not going to eat it. So they're going to need to know that. Uh, fasting is also not a dieting method. Uh, now, while you might lose some weight, especially if you fast for an extended period of time, a couple weeks, something like that, um, it's, it's, not, it's not your goal. You know? Your goal is to draw closer to God. That's the goal. Your goal in fasting isn't to lose weight. If you're fasting to lose weight, it's a diet. But again, biblical fasting is not a dieting method. Okay? And when we're looking at how and when to fast, you know, there's a couple ways. You have solo fasting, which we've really been hitting on here. You know, solo fasting is a situation where it's something personal between you and God. Okay? You do it alone you only let people know they absolutely need to know etc but there's also group fasting and there's churches that will do this or maybe prayer groups will do this uh, study groups will do this group fasting is typically when all the people in a group again of church or prayer group or whatever will set a specific date and time to begin a fast and a specific date and time to end the fast and there's a specific goal involved in the prayer of this fast such as uh, helping the church to um, know God's will for them for the year, helping the church to grow or helping the church to get more involved in the community. Again, going back to God's will. Uh, fasting can help reveal those things. But it's the same situation. If you're group fasting, only the people in the group and those who absolutely need to know your fasting should know. Don't go around spreading the word that you're fasting. Now, once it's over, if there is uh, testimony involved or something of that nature, that's okay. Um, provided that you feel like God is leading you to give that testimony. Don't go give that testimony just so you can have other people know how, how great you are. You know, that's, that's something you want to avoid. Again, that's being like the Pharisees. 
We want to only allow the Holy Spirit to guide us and lead us to know when, how, and to who we should be discussing those things with. Because again, fasting is something very deep and very personal between you and God. Uh, but I recommend it. Jesus fasted. Uh, Moses fasted. Many people fasted. Remember Nineveh? The, the king declared everyone in Nineveh to fast all the way down to the animals. You know, uh, fasting is an important part of our Christian walk. Don't don't think of it as as something that's extra or something that's uh, only done by religious extremists or Christian extremists. Don't don't view it in that manner. Uh, view it as something that's part of your Christian walk. Now, do you fast every day? Most people won't fast every day. There were, such as the widow in the temple, uh, that fasted and prayed daily. And again, she was so close to God, she knew baby Jesus as soon as Joseph and Mary brought him to the temple. Uh, but for most of us, that, that won't happen. For most of us, we're not called to do that. Uh, your prayer life will help reveal that to you. The more you pray, the more you stay close to God, the more you're going to feel that tug, and the more you're going to feel the, the presence of the Holy Spirit revealing to you when you should fast. Revealing to you how to know and, and should it be a solo fast, should it be a corporate or group fast, um, you know, how long should I fast for, etc. You know, the, the greater your prayer life, the more you're going to have an understanding of those things and the more you're going to feel the Holy Spirit guiding you in those things as well. So, again, don't look at fasting as, as what we talked about, a way to manipulate God a way to prove your righteousness or your attention or a way to die and it's, it's simply there to bring you closer to God and bring you closer to his will okay so we're gonna have a little background noise I think uh, periodically in this particular segment uh, we're gonna do a book review here uh, I am a church member now this is by Tom S Rayner I hope I'm saying that correctly uh, now this book is by B&H publishing group of Nashville Tennessee bhpublishinggroup.com copyright 2013 it's only 79 pages so the book is is relatively short i'll get into that more here in a little bit uh, but this book has lots of great reviews i mean tons of people have given this book great reviews people like ronnie floyd franklin graham james mcdonald dave ramsey rick warren and several others and i'd never heard of this book until my pastor gave me a copy of it in fact i'll uh, i'll read one of the book reviews here real quick here's dave ramsey's book review uh what would happen if people didn't choose a church based on what they would receive from it, but what they could give to it? What if they joined not only to be encouraged, but to edify, not just to be served, but to use their gifts and resources to serve? Dr. Rayner bravely and insightfully chooses to answer the questions, or insightfully answers these questions in I Am a Church Member, a book that every single congregant needs to have in their hands. And he goes on to talk about more about the book um you know rick warren does a small review on it uh ronnie floyd in fact uh you know he does the uh first baptist church here in spring i think it's called cross church now uh but he said that um he will do all he can in his church uh, to find a way to get it into every christ follower's hands it's a, a synopsis i get from what he says um so this book has got some great reviews and I have to say they're well deserved. But after I read this book, they are very well deserved. Okay. Um, now the author he has, you know, Tom Rayner, I guess Dr. Rayner. Uh, he's written and co-authored many books, including Transformational Church, The Millennials, The Unchurched Next Door, and many others. So 
he's got a lot of books out there that he's authored, co-authored, or uh, did some editorial work for. Uh, you know, the book itself is only uh, six chapters and an introductory chapter, and that's it. It's, it's a real quick read, but the chapters are broken down so that they're, they're not just good information. Each chapter is also a study in and of itself. Uh, and I'm going to talk more about that here in just a little bit. Well, if I wouldn't go into it right now, at the end of each chapter, there are questions. And there's a pledge. Now, the, the questions are basically study questions. They go in there, they kind of help you um, reference um, what the chapter said, some of the Bible verses that were there. Like, for example, you know, one of the study questions here is, how is the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13 chapter, related to church membership? So it relates biblical verses and the chapter itself back together to help you get a better understanding of it. And each pledge is basically, it's, it's biblically backed up with scripture about what the chapter just stated and what the chapter means. So I really like this. It is a great book as far as actually not just throwing information at you, but the book actually helps you understand what it's trying to say and helps drive these points home. Uh, in fact, the introductory chapter, uh, Tale of Two Church Members, uh, shows two different members who know each other or friends or kind of get to know each other. And I'll read a few excerpts here. Uh, Lana and I went to the church to learn deep truths about the Bible. Liam offered. But Pastor Robert is just not feeding us. We're not getting anything out of his message. Sitting in the service on Sunday morning is just a waste of our time. Michael didn't respond. He could tell Liam had more to say. Now, you have two people here. You have Liam and Michael. They're both church members at the same church, and they're both kind of having different experiences in the church, and this kind of gets into that. Um, and then Liam goes on, but honestly, Michael, our church is full of hypocrites. Did you hear about Jim at the kids' basketball game? He embarrassed me the way he was screaming at the refs. What kind of testimony is that for a Christian? And of course, everyone knows about Neil. He was supposedly this pillar of the church. We find out he's been cheating on his wife for over a year. What kind of a church is this that these kind of people with these kind of people. Uh, and then he went on to say a few things about the pastor in the church, etc. Uh, and then Liam offered a closing that really spoke more than he realized. We really are two different types of church members, he stated. Why is that? Why do we have such different perspectives? That is a great point. Why does one individual who's attending the same church, knows the same people, has essentially the same experiences, but experiences them in different ways and sees things from a different perspective. Uh, and they talk about uh, a, a study that was done here. You know, based on research of 557 churches from 04 to 2010, nine out of 10 churches in America are declining or growing at a pace that is slower than that of their communities. Simply stated, churches are losing ground in their own backyards. Another way of looking at this, or looking at it is generationally. About two-thirds of the builder generation, those born between 46, before 46, are Christian. But only 15% of the millennials are Christians. The millennials are the largest generation in America's history, with almost 80 million members. They were born between 1980 and 2000, and we have all but lost that generation. And then he talks about a few other things that he goes on to say, but I am proposing that we who are church members need to look in the mirror. I am suggesting congregations across America are weak because many of us church members have lost the biblical understanding 
of what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. Let me read that again. I am suggesting that the congregations across America are weak because many of us church members have lost a biblical understanding of what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. And that is what this book drives home. This book drives home what it actually means to be a member of the church. He goes on to say later on the chapter, many churches are weak because we have members who have turned the meaning of membership upside down. It's time to get it right. It's time to become a church member as God intended. It's time to give instead of being entitled. And that's true. This book really goes into um, what it means to be a member and how many members feel like it's an entitlement when you're a member of a church. Um, the church is there to meet your needs. And while, yes, the church is there to meet some of your spiritual needs and, and, and help you grow and learn and understand, you're there to serve that church, too. You're there to serve that community. Um, he says a lot of Christians, their view of membership is more aligned with a country club membership. What is that church going to do for me? Not what am I going to do for that church? What am I going to do to help that church reach the community? The whole point of a church is to reach the community for Christ. Yes, it's a place to come together to strengthen each other. Yes, it's to come together to learn the word. You should be learning the word on your own too. Primarily, you should be learning the word on your own. For you military guys, um, like your physical training you would do with your unit. That was the bare minimum PT you should be doing every day. You know, a lot of us would go to the gym. You know, we'd have our morning PT. We'd do whatever. And then if, if we weren't on the field or whatever, we'd go to the gym in the evenings, do some more cardio, do some weight training, calisthenics, etc. The church, what you get in the church is the bare minimum you should be doing. You should be studying on your own. That Sunday school lesson, if you get that Sunday school little study book where you go through the chapters each week, you should be studying that before you ever go to Sunday school. You know, my wife sits down on the weekends before church and she'll sit there and she'll read through and study her And she will study all the things that are listed there and all the different chapter points and all the different questions and stuff. And she'll study a lot of stuff before she goes. You know, that's exactly what you should be doing. You know, we get into our Bible reading. Those are things you should be doing outside of church. And he talks about uh, CEO Christians. Christmas and Easter only. That's their CEO church members, you know, Christian and Easter only church members. They only show up Christmas and Easter just for those sermons, okay? Um, and here he, he talks a little bit about unconditional love. We are, not to, we are not to love fellow church members just because they are lovable. We are to love the unlovable as well. We are not to pray for and encourage our pastor, pastors just when they are doing things we like. We are to pray for and encourage them when they do things we don't like. We are not to serve the church only when others are joining in. We are to serve the church even if we are alone in doing so. If everyone else is a Christmas and Easter only church member and you're the only person there, you're still to serve the church and the community alone. If everyone else there, if you feel like they're unlovable, love them anyway. You might want to look at your own. If you feel like everyone else has a problem but you, you might want to look at your own heart. But at the same time, though, doesn't matter. You're there to serve the church, the church members, the community, the people for Christ. That's what you're there for. Uh, this book, I'm going to go over here to chapter 3. Sorry about the hesitation there. Uh, but in chapter 3, he, said, he makes some really good points that I wanted to read. 
Christians can sometimes act just like those demanding children who want things their way. He had just done an illustration about kids throwing fits and wanting things their way. But Christians can sometimes act just like those demanding children who want things their way. Temper tantrums in churches may not include church members lying on the floor kicking and screaming, but some come close. And he, he'll go on a little bit more about some of the issues of infighting and issues in the church. Then he goes on to say Jesus would often say things that confounded his listeners. You see, even his disciples had a tendency to fight with one another. On one occasion, the twelve were arguing about who was the greatest. Can you imagine that? The closest followers of Jesus were having a me-first fight. The Bible says that Jesus stopped and sat down and called these grown men together. Sitting down, he called the twelve and said to them, If anyone wants to be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Um, then he goes on to say how this, this hit him inside. Then it hits me. That text is for me as well. As a church member, my motivation should not be to get my preferences to the top of the list. I am supposed to be the last, not first. I am supposed to be a servant instead of seeking to be served. Uh, and he <clears throat> he goes on to talk about a survey that was done. And uh, there were some different things that they found that were issues in the church, things that were problems. I'm not going to read all these different points or anything. I'm just going to highlight a couple of them here real quick. Worship wars, you know, people getting into arguments about how the worship should be done. Um, prolonged meetings that really don't have a point or they really aren't beneficial. Um, you know, sometimes you ever see people have meetings just to have meetings. You see that in corporations all the time. People have meetings just to have meetings and it just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't help anyone. Um, anger and hostility, a lot of members getting consistently angry and hostile. We're all human beings. We're all going to have moments where we get angry. We're all going to have those issues. We're humans. That's that's just part of it. At the same time, though, people who are consistently angry, they're always upset about something. They're finding something to be angry about. You know, pray for those people. Okay? And there's several other things he lists here. There's several things he talks about. He talks about having the mind of Christ. Uh, all these different chapters are great. Um, i got to say, this is a really good book. Um, you know, while this book is relatively short, it's designed to be. It has all the materials that it needs to drive home the points and back of its information with biblical references. Uh, I think the author didn't want to create a book that just droned on like some of them do. These books or these types of books, you know, will often lose readers because the information goes beyond the lesson and gets too involved in points beyond the scope of what's trying to be taught. Uh, that can, let's be honest, that gets, that gets boring. You know, for most of us who live in a society where everything's go, 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 work, everything, you know, it's nice to be able to sit down with something that teaches the points in a manner that we can understand without droning on about them. You know, the author has written a great piece on what it truly means to be a member of a church. You know, he also gets into what life is like for a pastor, and he tells this heartbreaking and true story that really helps us understand what pastors can go through. I'm not going to get into that because that is a really good story in this book that you need to see. And when he talks about what pastors go through, it really hit me about just what these these church leaders, these church elders, these pastors, the tough life that they had. Um, but get this book, read it, and put it into action in your own church and life. And I bet once you read it, you're probably going to want to get a copy of this to other people that you may know. Again, it's I Am a Church Member, written by Dr. Tom Rayner, and it is by uh, B&H Publishing Group. 
and it should be available online. Uh, I believe it's available on Amazon and a few other places, but you can probably go on the bhpublishinggroup.com and look there for it might be for sale as well. All right, so Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Let's go ahead and continue our study. Last podcast, we did the first couple of verses, so let's pick up where we left off. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ, for he has chosen us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he proposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you were also, <clears throat> excuse me, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. That is a lot to talk about right there. Uh, again, I'm a, little, I'm a little beat right now, so hopefully I didn't misread anything there. Uh, let's hit the hot button topic right off the bat. Let's Let's discuss the elephant in the room. Predestination. Uh, this is a debate that's been among the church since Augustine. Okay, and will likely continue to be so. I'm going to give you my take on this after I've studied it, after I've listened to sermons and lectures, after I've sought out materials about it, after I've prayed about it. Okay, so let's start with not taking a verse out of context and read the whole section and relate it to the gospel. This gives us a true understanding. We wouldn't take John 11.35 as a standalone verse. John 11.35 is Jesus wept. So we wouldn't take that as a standalone verse and say our Savior was a crybaby. Okay? We know that not to be true. We know from other scripture that Jesus was incredibly tough. He was an incredibly tough individual. Okay? He endured one of the worst deaths a being could possibly face. In fact, the beatings that people received before they were even placed on the cross would often cause death. The cat and nine tails had, had bits of bone and metal in them, and it would cleave to the skin and rip it from the body. Oftentimes, the bones of the ribs and the spine were actually exposed to daylight during this process. I mean, Jesus endured this, and he was not weak, okay? Don't take the verse out of context. Uh, unless it specifically can stand alone, such as, for example, John 3.16 is an example of that, which we're going to use that today, too. But let's take a look at the verses a few at a time, okay? All right, so, verses 3 through 6. All right, in verses 3 through 6, Paul reminds us that God is sovereign over all the details of our lives, 
okay? Um, in fact, let's read 3 through 6 again here real quick. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Verse 4, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship or um, I believe the King James says something about uh, about being a, a, adopted in, as his child uh, same thing there though through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves okay again Paul reminds us that God is sovereign in all the details of our lives God has a plan that includes adopting us into his family, and he wants the best for us, okay? Uh, if you notice, he mentions blessings in heaven, okay? Praise be to the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms, all right? Makes it hard to justify the prosperity gospel, where if you send a pastor money, or if you do this, you do that, you're going to get blessed with riches here on earth. It's not like that. Again, this world is not our home. We're here temporarily. We are to be in the world, not of it. Now, if God chooses to bless you and then give you wealth, that's great. Okay, there's nothing wrong with that as long as you're using that wealth to further his kingdom and to give to others. As you move up that social ladder or that uh, economic ladder, you're to use that next movement to be more uh, giving and to be more... Um, What's the proper word I'm looking for? Let's let's just say to be able to help those in need better. All right, that's what it's there for. It's 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 not necessarily for us to have our own way and to have the nice sports car and all these other things. Which there's if God has blessed you to the point where you have those things, and if you're being good with your money and you are giving to the community and giving the way God is leading you to, there's nothing wrong with having the sports car too. But if you have the sports car and you can't afford to do anything else, then something went off the rails somewhere. Okay. Now, um, doing things our way often leads to painful consequences, okay? Um, it's, we need to be in God's will. I don't know how to say it any other way. We can talk about, again, fasting. Fasting is a good way to know when, what God's will for you is. So it's best to be in God's will for our own sake and for our own safety, okay? Um, but also, these verses tell us that there's nothing random about this. You know, God had this set before the foundation of the earth. Uh, again, when it says right here, He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. There's nothing random about this. It was ever since Adam and Eve sinned and, and God had to cover their sin with the skin of an animal, okay? The sacrifice to cover their sin. All the way to the, the sacrifice of Christ as the sacrificial lamb, okay? So many things in this Bible point towards that. All right? It's amazing how since the foundation of the world, everything is pointed towards that. And everything after Christ is pointing towards his return. Okay, But many Calvinists will use this verse right here for um, he predestined us or he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Many Calvinists will use this and verse 11 out of the context to prove that only certain people are chosen for heaven. Uh, the belief from them is that these individuals were chosen before the world was created 
to be in heaven and if they were born into salvation because they were chosen. But there's a few glaring problems with this I want to get into right now. Number one, how do we reconcile John 3.16 here? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It doesn't say only those who are predestined will have eternal life. It doesn't say that only those who were chosen before the beginning of the world will have eternal life. It's, it's not what these verses are talking about. And if, number two, if, if a person or if one is born into something, there's no need for adoption. They are part of the family from conception. Adoption has no place there, so that, that verse doesn't make sense either. Also, there's a big difference in the way we look at things today in our modern use of the English language versus uh, the Jewish use of language back then. Okay, um, Greg Boyd of, of Renew.org did a great job with this and, he, um, and the whole predestination wording uh, on his website, uh, Renew.org. And he had a 2018 article titled, How Do You Respond to Ephesians 1, 4 through 5? I recommend you read that. It's a pretty good article. It's pretty short, but it's got some good information. I want to talk about that here. Uh, Greg brings up the fact that Paul would have looked at this from a Jewish perspective, meaning that he would have seen it as a corporate election, not an individual one. Okay? Not quoting from the article. This does not mean that every individual born into Israel was a part of God's chosen people. Only those who kept covenant with God were considered true Israelites. So he was looking at it as true Israelites were chosen. Uh, notice that Paul does not say that God chose us to be in Christ. Rather, he says God chose us in Christ to be holy and blameless. What God chose from the foundation of the world was that whoever is in Christ will be holy and blameless. Again, he didn't choose individuals. He chose those who would be in Christ, those who chose Christ, who believed in Christ as their Savior. Those will be holy and blameless. And he gives this great analogy of watching a movie clip. I love this. It, it's really good. Uh, this whole movie clip is, or this whole analogy is, um, if you invite some people to watch a movie clip, okay, you do not predestine anyone to watch the movie clip. All right? you, you, can't, you didn't force anyone to show up. No one was predestined to come over and watch a movie clip or anything at your house. Okay. However, those who decided to attend the viewing we're going to be predestined to watch the movie clip that was picked. Okay? And here, quoting from the article, So too, from the foundation of the world, God predestined that whoever is in Christ would become holy and blameless in his sight. But he did not predestine certain individuals, as opposed to other unfortunate individuals, to be in Christ. This is left up to our choice. Again, that's a quote from the article itself. Um, again, if I have a party at my house and I'm serving pizza, I didn't predestine anyone to eat pizza. But it is predestined that anyone who shows up at my house to have this party is going to get served pizza. All right, it's the same thing here. Individuals aren't predisposed or predestined to be saved, and others are just going to burn in hell. But it is predestined that whoever should accept Christ's sacrifice will be adopted into the family, become children of God, and will be saved. Okay, The choice is mankind choosing sin, 
God choosing to offer us another way or redemption and us choosing to believe and accept Christ's sacrifice. Okay, now let's look at verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Verse 8, that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Now, to redeem means to pay the cost to release something or someone from captivity. I mean, whether it be uh, an item that's at the, at the market or someone that's held in slavery. It is the price being paid to acquire its release to yourself or to freedom in general, okay? We were bound to sin before Christ and the price for us to be released, the price for us to be redeemed was his blood, his death on the cross, his sacrifice at Calvary. That was our cost. That was the cost that he paid for us. That was our cost to be free from sin was our Savior's sacrifice. All right, verse 9. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he proposed in Christ to be put into effect when the time comes to reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. All right. While God's plan was a mystery until the time it became known to us, okay, it was revealed in the salvation plan through and of Christ. This brings everything together through Christ. Now, uh, there's some study books you can get called Explore the Bible. They're personal study guides. I like them quite a bit. Uh, there's a 2019 one that actually goes into this. Uh, it has a study on Ephesians, which I like. Uh, I just started reading this. It's really good. Uh, but here's what they say about this. The essence of God's plan is to unite everything in Christ, to bring every part of creation under the lordship of Jesus. Paul's, or Paul used a word to bring everything together. That was somewhat uncommon in the Greek language. Again, Paul used a word to bring everything together that was somewhat uncommon in the Greek language. It means he purposely sought out this word. Okay, now back to the, what it says here. It carries the ideas that number one, to restore something to its original purpose. Number two, to unify. And number three, to put all things under the proper head and master. Of course, Jesus does all these things. So again, we look at verses 9 and 10. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasures, which he proposed in Christ. Again, it was people didn't know what his plan was. Specifically, that's how when, when Jesus came, what did everyone think? Jesus, everyone thought Christ came to be the Messiah, to liberate them, to free them. They thought he was coming with a sword, but instead he came as a sacrificial lamb. It was the mystery of his will. You know, the mystery of God's plan was revealed when Christ came to be sacrificed and to be the one that paid the price for their sins. And it was put into effect. Again, verse 10, to be put into effect when the time reaches your fulfillment. To be put into effect at the proper time. God's timing is always perfect. No matter how much we think we know better, God's timing is always perfect. And it was put into effect at the proper time. And it brought unity to all things on heaven and earth. Or under heaven and on earth. All right, now let's go to verse 11. In Him... We were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. We already talked about predestination. I'm not going to hit on that again. Uh, verse 12, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. Now, here's the down and dirty that God wants us to experience an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Okay? 
That includes knowing Him as your Savior, having a rich prayer life, knowing their will for you, etc. Prayer is the number one thing. Um, I don't do enough of it. Most of us don't. Some of us do, for sure, but most of us do not pray nearly as much as we should, myself included, and that's something I need to work on. Okay, uh, But that's how you develop that intimate relationship. God's Word points us in the right direction for His will in our lives. Uh, however, we, we're likely to never know every detail of God's will for our life. We, we don't need to. Okay, um, But God wants us to be pointed in the right direction so we can make good decisions and, and the Holy Spirit can help guide us. Okay, uh, And He wants that close relationship. Once again, we talked about being intimate. He wants that close relationship no matter what. No matter what we've done, no matter what our background is, Again, we hit on when we talked about our Bible verse in Romans. doesn't matter what our background is. You accept Christ as your Savior. Um, it's done. The deal's done. Okay? Uh, God is calling us to join Him to be adopted into His family through Jesus. We are not all God's children. I know we you hear people say all the time, oh, we're all God's children. Well, the Bible doesn't say that, though. We may be all created by God. But only those who are adopted into his family are truly God's children. That's what the Bible says. You can't get around that. All right? And uh, verses 13 and 14, I'm going to hit some really good points here. Verse 13, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Verse 14, who is deposit guaranteeing our inheritance and the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Now I'm going to hit something that's uh, a little bit, I'm not going to say controversial. I'm not, but there are some, there is some division among the church right here, but I'm, I'm just going to lay it out there. This is what I believe. This is what the scriptures revealed to me. So we're going to talk about that as we get into this. The sacrifice of Jesus and us believing, accepting it grants us salvation. Period. The verses tell us that, all right? Now we're going to talk about official seal. Just as an official seal marks a document as being genuine, okay? The Holy Spirit in us guarantees our identity as an adopted child of the king, an adopted child of God, okay? When a king seals something, it can only be unsealed by the recipient or the king himself. In older times... The penalty was often death if you unsealed a seal from the king and you were not the recipient of the king himself. Okay? Now this brings up Ephesians 4.30, which tells us our salvation is sealed until the day of redemption. Look up Ephesians 4.30. It talks to the Holy Spirit and being sealed until the day of redemption through the Holy Spirit. Once we are saved, Christ is our Savior. The Holy Spirit dwells in us, and we are sealed until the day we stand before God in judgment. As a Christian, Christ has already paid the price for our sins on the cross. We will be redeemed on that day, having been sealed by faith until then. Breaking a seal was a big deal during this time period. That's why the seal was placed on the tomb where Christ was. It is literally punishable by death to break that seal if you were not the king or the authorized person to break it. It was not, that's why Paul wrote this here. This wasn't a small or minor thing. You have to understand again, when you are sealed, you are sealed by the king. The king seals you. Only the king can break that seal. Nothing you can do can break that seal unless you completely renounce your faith. 
um, would be the only thing I could think of. I know there's um, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, I believe, is, is one thing, but there's, there's a lot of debate on what that is. Most people say it's a continued, willful, long-term disobedience to God, refusal of the Holy Spirit, and the announcement of Christ is what I've, I've been told many times by that. So I will go with that definition. Um, but we can see in our verses here, again, kind of just a quick recap of it. Number one, we have been predestined for adoption if we will accept Christ's sacrifice. God's will for us is perfect. And if we will accept that will and try to be in God's will and have a good prayer life to understand it, our lives are much better. And again, not our lives here on earth specifically, but our lives ahead of us in heaven. Remember, we are the treasures and the, the blessings we are seeking and storing up are in heaven, not here on earth. Okay. Um, Christ has paid the price for our sins. We are not what we used to be. We have hope in Christ and we are sealed by the Holy Spirit until the King redeems us. So again, that was Ephesians chapter 1 verses 3 through 14 and I encourage you to read those, do some extra research on those, etc. Again, this shouldn't be the only place you're getting information from. You know, Seek out a local church, get involved in a local church. Um, go out there and Get involved in the community. Get involved in some study groups. You know, they have churches have those Wednesday night, Wednesday night or Sunday night or Sunday morning Sunday school sessions. Get involved in those, man. I, I can't I can't stress it enough. Those are great, great learning tools, great, great learning moments you can use to to better know God's word and better know God's will. So let's go ahead and say a prayer in closing right now. Uh, Father God, we come before you and thank you for this podcast which you allowed me to create and allow the listeners to hear. Uh, just appreciate you allowing us to be in a country in a time where, where this can occur. Uh, Father, we just pray that you will guide us as we go through our times at work tomorrow, our times at work this week, our times at home with our families and our churches and with others. Help us to know your will. Help guide us. Allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives so that we can do the things that you want us to do the way you want us to do them. Father, in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you all for joining us. Until next time, this is uh, Unknown Christian Soldiers. Thank you very much.